Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your time. Bradford Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me. Swivel Hit Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify wh- your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. Boom sauce. Yep. The 19th appearance on the Bradford Show for one Joseph Kelly. Do I get that number right? 19? That's it? <laughs> <laughs> Dang it! I got a lot. Of, I got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> now, so first of all, I've, as everyone as everyone knows by now, uh, Joe Kelly has agreed to a contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, which which means a lot of things. Number one, that he's rich. Um, number two, that he's le- changing leagues. He's changing teams. Um, most importantly, he's not going to be around to do the Twin Peaks podcast with Rick Porcello in spring training. Um, so you know. It, there's some good and some bad from this, Joe. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. Uh, I feel bad. Like, who's going to take my spot to to help Rick out? I mean, I know Rick wants to keep that tradition alive. Um, so you're going to have to find him a, maybe a new guy. To All right. So, so who? Yeah. So who would it be? So you you know these guys better than I do. Who who is who? Yeah. Are, who are you anointing your replacement for the Twin Peaks Spring Training Podcast? Spring training podcast. Wow! Uh, Having done it, you've done it two years. You know all the dynamics of it. I'm a veteran. I'm a, I'm a veteran of it. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's go with. You want position player or pitcher? Any, anything. I want. I want the one who's going to fit the best. You guys. It was a rare combination. I'm going, yeah, I'm going with uh, Brock Holt. Okay. All right. Okay. There. If you want a pitcher. Uh, Let's go with the bullpen guy. Why don't you drag Matt Barnes out there to do something? Okay, he's he's been on the show, so all right, good. Yeah, good. And and we'll we'll uh, we'll call you remotely as from from Twin Peaks. We'll have a setup. So you know what, take, take Matt Barnes because Twin Peaks cuisine is like fine dining for Matt Barnes. <laughs> like this is a guy that will sneak in fast food behind people's backs. 
And I think that Twin Peaks is like a nice steakhouse. I think you enjoy it. Okay. All right. Fair enough. We'll lock it in. Um, all right. So, so you you have a new team. Does it feel weird? It's a, it's a little bittersweet, you know. As I'm, I mean, I'm still in LA right now. Um, my best friend, uh, Drew, high school buddy, you know, or since high school, um, he lives out here in Santa Monica, and that's um, a good little spot. He works like, you know, tech company. So I went to Denver than out here um, just right now because I had to wait for the traffic to die down. How about this? I live. 50, I think it says 56 miles away from my house where, from my buddy Drew. And it said it would have took me two hours and 48 minutes to get home. And now I'm leaving. I, I, I killed two hours of my time going to dinner with my buddy, his wife, and his little girl. And then watched some of the Lakers, Laker game. And then now, now I just left his house. And it's now going to be an hour forty-eight instead of two forty. All right. So this whole thing, this whole thing, one of the one of the things that Joe Kelly is returning home. Listen, when you, when it takes you an hour and a half to get home at seven o'clock at night, that's not home. That's a great sign. That's that's not. That's that, a great sign. That's a what? That's a great sign because it was two forty-eight. Yeah, but yeah, but still, the the fact of the matter is, is that. When you say you're returning home, you're like you would be five minutes. Like returning home for you would be playing for the Angels. Like the Dodgers Stadium is still that's thirty minutes. Okay. Hey, Dodgers Stadium is not bad. In rush hour, Dodgers Stadium only take me to get home an hour and five minutes. You know, no traffic. I get to Dodgers Stadium in forty-five minutes there and back. Did you? When growing up, did you, you must have hated the Dodgers growing up, right? No, I mean I didn't. Honestly, my first baseball game was Dodger game. But I didn't, like I said, I wasn't much in the house when I was growing up. I was skateboarding and doing all that fun stuff. I didn't really watch any sports in general. Okay. So, as I got older, you know, like in high school when I started watching baseball, I, that's when the A's were good. So I kind of like watching the A's play. Um, I wasn't a fan, but I just like watching they were good. I was like money ball time, you know what I mean? So that was pretty cool. Uh, but I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Yep. On my ride home, I'm I'm most likely going to break the law and ride in the HOV then by myself and see if I can come. Well, clearly now you can do that. <laughs> you you, you got to just drop the, I, I don't think you understand, I'm Joe Kelly of the Los Angeles, the National League champion of the Los Angeles Dodgers. If you, you I don't caught. know if they would fly. It might. I'll be like, hey, man, uh, I'm just trying to make it home. You know, I was all, all day in L.A., you know. I'm trying, you know, new, new, you might know my name. I don't know if you do. And then he's going to write me a, a double fine, actually, probably. <laughs> uh, it must be weird, seriously. I'll just say, I'll just say, I'll say my car. I thought it was a Tesla. Because in California, if you have an electric car, you could uh, ride in the HIV lane by yourself. <laughs> but that is not the funky rule. It, it, it must it must be weird though. It must be a little strange. I mean, it, it, we talked the other night about the whole off season, but now that it's complete, does it feel does it feel weird for you? Uh, or are you just are you gl- yeah, it's glad it's over? It's definitely weird, but like it's gonna be over. You know, it's gonna be one of those, like I said, it's bittersweet. Like all those guys, and you know. Everyone in the rest of our position, like, that was, I was there for so long, like, that was home, like, 
Yeah, you know, we came off winning the World Series. Like, we had an amazing time. We had a great group of guys, you know, and now I'm on the, uh, you know, in a different league on the other side, and, you know, on the Dodgers, Dodgers that, you know, obviously great team, National League, you know, made a World Series twice. Uh, and, like, me growing up in Southern California, it's cool. It's one of the things, like I said, I'm going to stay in my house where you don't have to worry about, you know, tracking stuff, the logistics, you know, shipping cars. Like, it's literally like, you're at your house. So, season starts, season ends, you don't have to move anything. It's, everything's the same. You don't have to pack a bag or clothes. You know, you don't have to worry about getting a U-Haul. don't have to worry about driving my dogs anywhere. Um, it's just... You know, but just really an unbelievable like thing that you know, the back thing like man, that's gonna be so much, so much more like you know, time is gonna be so much easier. Um, and obviously, great team playoffs. You know, the playoffs last six years. You know, great team. Only like only looking to get better. Um, you know, obviously not done you know, for a dog. It doesn't look like so. It's very cool to see what you know what they're trying to do and why, you know, in the offseason and going from there. What was the, uh, what was the, for Red Sox teammates, when when the news came out or when you found out you were going to the Dodgers, what was the, what was the one that, that, that hit home the most or funniest, most touching, uh, one that you're like, oh, man, that, 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 is, that, that hits me where it hurts, or what was some of the reaction from your teammates? All the reactions were good. Uh, Brock and his wife FaceTime uh, me and my wife at like seven in the morning and ten o'clock that time obviously. And he, they, he answered the phone and he's like, "Dang, girl, you're super duper duper rich!" <laughs> and I just started laughing. And uh, <laughs> it was just you know, I'm obviously so close to those guys and you know, every, everything was positive from those guys. You know, they they understand. Uh, you know, they they understand what's best for, you know, obviously family, you know, career. Um, it's all been positive and it's been great, you know. But I think that that was probably like the funniest, one of the funniest reactions I got um, from, from a team, from a a former teammate. That was pretty. That was pretty cool. What was the uh, what was what was the recruitment like? Obviously, they probably, you know, whether it's you know Nathan talking to Valdi the other day, he's talking about you know the recruitment on Fortnite, whatever. What was were you getting a lot of that? Of hey, you know what, sign back here. We'll we'll make another run at it. Or was it hey, just go out and get your money? No, there's there's definitely some recruitment. Um, from the players, you know, um, just, you know, talking with me, um, you know, guys on the team lobbying, you know, to people higher than baseball players in the organization, you know, trying to lobby. Um, so there was a good fair amount of, of recruitment. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, Dodgers were the team that was, you know, from the get-go, and, uh, you know, Dodgers were the team that were the team that, you know, offered a three-year deal. Um, and it's one of those things where, you know, yeah, three-year deals are great, but it's also the thing that where you go knowing that you're going to have a chance to win still every single year. Like, if you look at, you know, 
how they go about it. And there's only so many other teams in baseball, I feel like, that at least put their 100% effort into getting to the playoffs, you know, winning the winning type of mentality, you know, in off-season through trades, and then ultimately it's the player's job to, to do what the boss does. And I think, you know, Dodgers, one of the most historic franchises like the Red Sox, are a team that year in and year out do that and obviously make an effort to do that. You know, aren't worried about payroll, you know, aren't worried about anything like that, just worried about, you know, winning. You know, the Dodgers are a team, you know, since I've been born, you know, last time the Dodgers won was when I was four months old. You know, so since I've been alive, I haven't seen, technically, the Dodgers, you know, win a World Series. And, and for being an L.A. organization where you got, you know, the Lakers who, you know, 2000, 2001, 2000, you know, two, back to back to back, and then 2009, 2010, you know, I'm a Laker fan, so I know the You know, being in L.A. without, you know, having a World Series, I mean, that's a, that's a drought. So, and they're, as an organization, are not satisfied with making the World Series twice, you know. Lost back-to-back years. I mean, great accomplishment when the National League you know, but there's still that empty feeling and there's, there's still that, you know, passion for the front office, for, for guys on the team, for coaches that, hey, we made it there. Like, we're still trying to add pieces that, yeah, we could take the same team and, you know, make playoffs again, but adding pieces, you know, to get that World Series. You know, 30 years is a long time for L.A. Um, so that's something that's really, really cool and exciting to see. Uh, just the effort, you know, a lot, a lot of teams would get excited to make our first fights and then, all right, we'll just keep our same guys and see what happens. But well, to see the effort um, with teams still being hungry, I think that that's super exciting too. Tell me, tell me about the recruitment process. And we talked about the, you know, obviously the Red Sox, you said the Red Sox players recruited, but tell me about the teams. Tell me about, um, like, for instance, you met with the Dodgers. I know that was pretty cool. Um, uh, I guess I guess was was that was the Dodgers presentation for lack of a better term the one that sort of blew you the way blew you away the most yeah just I mean the, all the behind the scenes stuff and you know but there obviously no hidden team to you know analytics right and there's, there's a reason behind you know pitchers or players going over there and you know I wouldn't say playing above talent level but I would say that they get every ounce of talent out of the guys that they have you know year in and year out I mean Dodgers weren't fortunate enough you know like us last year the Red Sox I mean we had five guys on that then you know like I said throwing 95 to 100 and you know that's a big part of why we were successful in the playoffs like you know just we had the talent you know Dodgers had guys you know on their side where they're pitching outstanding but when you like look at the talent it wasn't matching up talent wise but they're still getting the results out of it so I think it's cool behind the scenes of like how they go about that and how they do that and that was one of the things that excited me because that's something that I was already trying to learn on my own um now when you have a staff that is dedicated to that like ideas of what I was already kind of flowing and seeing success on the field and now you have a whole team doing that um, pretty much the formula for success when mechanics and stuff are right is the same idea that I think but they're already doing it I think that's just that was even cooler for me to kind of get that grasp and understanding as a whole what was um, it was it what was it what you thought it so you know teams want to talk to you but you know when the president of the Dodgers wants to talk to you 
it, was it what you thought it would be like? In other words, you're talking about all the different things that they're laying out, um, the things that you're learning. But you know, this is this is this is the the president of the team who you're having this in depth conversation. It sounds like an in depth conversation with that's you know yeah. sc- scratching where you itch. Uh, I mean, when you when you sort of say, oh yeah, I'll meet with the Dodgers. Sure, it probably was it like you thought it would be. No, completely not. You know, you you the Andrew, the name Andrew Friedman, obviously genius. You know, that's why he came from. You know, the race came over here like he was high for a reason. Um, and given his title as you know president, it's one of those things where it was more baseball. Like obviously, all every team president baseball savvy, but it was actually more player and like smart, like almost like as he was like a a player, like just the the ideas that you know I had going in weren't what happened. Like when I you know to, to talk, like it, it blew me away. That you know just how knowledgeable about you know it's not like Andrew Freeman has played in the Billies, but like so knowledgeable about pitching and like different ways to approach it, you know different ways to attack. You know, in that kind of vision, which I thought was super cool, like, maybe it's because I, you know, I don't know every president of baseball in the league, obviously, of their teams, but it's usually, you get the view of, like, all right, well, president of baseball operations just gets the players, and then, you know, sign the players, make the trades, and then it doesn't go more superficial than that. But with Andrew Friedman, you know, it felt... It felt different. It felt, you know, more without being like overstepping anything. Like guys, just like it's almost more part of the team than just being the president. You know what I mean? It's, it, it was pretty cool. How long did you meet with him for? Uh, uh shoot, maybe three hours, a little over. Yeah, so that's a long time. I mean that's that's not that, that's not your normal. Hey, hey, why you why you? I'm going to talk to. And I would imagine some of these other teams that were uh, Red Sox aside, some of these other teams that were interested in you. You know, we'll get this guy on the phone. I, I don't know. Did you meet with any other executives in person? Uh, no, 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 no. No, no. So this was different. This was obviously different. Yeah, it was different. Obviously, it helps that I'm you know less than an hour away from the field. Um, but still, even if that wasn't the case, I still feel like it was a possibility of me still going, you know, to meet with meet with them. How how when you're talking to him, how is what he's saying in terms of how they want to use you maybe different than some of the other messages that you got from other teams? Um, I think it was one of those things where me knowing, obviously, I'm a Wolfen guy. Um, not getting so in love with, you know, the old school mentality of, all right, well, this guy's late in reliever, he's only going to pitch, you know, you know, a whole situation, you know, in the eighth inning. It was more of the idea of getting big outs at different parts of the game and being comfortable with it. Um, not every player is comfortable with that, that, that kind of role, and I feel like that's one of those things that best suits my personality. Um, but not having to have a specific routine at a certain time of the game where I can go, you know, last second phone call, hey, Joe, we need you to get, you know, the next three guys out, you know, and get warm within five pitches. I think that was, you know, a, a pretty cool idea, you know, because I'm, 
I like that style and them not, you know, thinking baseball, you know, kind of changing. So them realizing that too, like, hey, big offs are big offs no matter what and not falling in love with a title. You know, we were both on the same page of, you know, when the pressure is the biggest at any point in the game, you know, are you comfortable with that? And, you know, that's something that I love. So I think it was a fit for both both ideas for having a role but not having a role at that thing. Were you, were you worried that teams were going to look at your June, July, August instead of what you did, you know, obviously you made some significant changes at the end, toward the end of September into the, into the postseason. Were you worried that teams were going to look at that instead of evidently what the Dodgers were looking at? Um, I wasn't worried about it because I, I knew that, you know, I would be able to keep playing baseball. I wouldn't say I was worried about it that way, you know, that was probably a determining factor with teams that, you know, don't do their own research and don't do their own homework and, like, don't do their own studying of uh, why, you know, things like that happen or, you know, why this guy's not getting the results when, you know, he does he does this and we see the results, why didn't he do it the whole year? So teams that don't dive deeper, I guess, in the surface, you know, that is probably the difference between, you know, it's not going to be a difference between signing, not signing, it's going to be a difference between signing, you know, for this amount of time versus you know, X amount of time, you know, a one or a two between a two and a three, you know, I think that's the difference that some teams won't see um, that don't do their own, that don't do their own homework, or, you know, don't do their own research. You know, that's, that's, I think that was probably the only thing that I was, if you say worry, was worried about, I guess. Um, but it's one of those things, you know, I learned in school, like I learned in psychology, like obviously don't plagiarize, like, there's reasons why teams are more successful than others because everyone has big league talent on their club. You know, obviously some have MVPs like we did. Um, but, it's, you know, do your own research is one of the things I learned in the school. Like, do your own research. You might find something different that someone else is finding. Um, so I think that is the cool aspect of mixing, you know, baseball with analytics type stuff um, and diving deeper and going, well, we can make this guy even more successful than what he is and we're just going to, you know, show them when he's successful exactly what to do and then just tell them to do X and see what happens for a full time type thing, I guess. And, and, you, and you, I think, like, as you said the other day, you got a chance not only with Friedman but with these, some of these other teams, you got a chance in person or, or, or at least over the phone to explain, this is what I did that made me so successful in the postseason, right? Yeah, I was able to, to, I mean, not as in-depth as, you know, Friedman, but try to, like, explain as best as I can the different types of formula. And, you know, if you go back and look at it on video, if you go back and look at just numbers and holes, you can tell. Um, and then, you know, that's just diving a little bit deeper than looking at, all right, well, this guy had a blah, blah, blah at this, at this point in, you know, this season or you know this guy was like that at this point in the season and instead of saying you know the guy's inconsistent or the guy can't you know do it it's finding out why like finding like what going deeper and alright well we'll look at the numbers or we'll look at the team or we'll look at the mechanics or we'll look at the pitch usage so it's a mix of everything looking looking why and then doing going like I said doing your homework and research and then figuring out why and then me knowing the why and the team knowing the why and both on the same page of understanding 
I only think that, I mean, that's going to be, you know, the, the determining factor of, you know, being able to be consistent throughout a year um, with the way that I felt as a player came and then the way they seeing the same exact thing. Um, and like I said, there's not everyone, you know, has a chance to see that, you know, but, you know, the Red Sox are a team that, that, that saw that too. Like, you know, you know, some talks with, you know, obviously Dana and, you know, Core or, or, you know, Banny, like, hey, use this more and then stick to these ones and then see what happens and then, you know, pitch well. Um, so they, the Red Sox knew, know about that. But, you know, having another team that, you know, has not had me in the minor leagues, has not had me in the Billy system, just only seen from afar, or actually in the World Series team from close. And they're already understanding that aspect of me as a player, um, I think is, is pretty pretty cool to see because they're already knowing, you know, the, the formula that I was using for, you know, the right answers, supposedly, like saying, like, the right, right way to have success. And now it's just putting it in fruition, you know, and a different uniform and, and, and sticking with that and going from there and starting, you know, obviously the whole season with the way I ended and seeing what happens and not being, you know, dedicated to a specific role or not you know what I mean there's just, yeah. there's just a bunch of little outside factors into it. what were the what were the last few days like um pretty chill I mean it was uh they were they were pretty much normal until you know obviously got phone calls and stuff but you know went, went through my days normal you know just started my workouts again um just first just picked up a baseball for the first time and started playing catch so um, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't one of those things where, you know, like I said, I was it was a non stressful as I I didn't think it'd be this non stressful as it was. You know, going in off season as a free agent, like, you know, you wanna get signed by a team when you're a free agent. But there was no, you know, panic, you know, I felt comfortable. Um I think it was uh, it was all around, you know, a great experience, um for my first time being a free agent. What moment did you realize that you weren't going to come be coming back to the Red Sox? What moment? Yeah. Like so, was it? Um, was it? I mean, did it? Was it before? Maybe there was other. You know, maybe they weren't even a finalist. I don't know. But you know, was it? Was it when? Hey, you know, it was became down to the Dodgers and the Red Sox, and that was it. Or was it a few days ago? Or um. I don't know if there's a, a, a one moment besides, you know, me saying, you know, this is the team I'm, I want to play for. This is a team that, you know, gave me a three-year deal at 25 mil. You know, that was a – it wasn't like I was, you know, was all riding on the wall before that. So, I guess the moment where, you know, here's a, a three-year deal and, you know, no other teams are at the three-year mark. I mean, the team's in, but there's another team at, you know, that got through your mark, and and there was no budget there. It's like, all right, well, I already was really, really involved with, you know, speaking with LA and understanding the philosophies and behind-the-scenes stuff for pitching, and I was already intrigued. Um, you know, so I guess, like, if you had a moment on it, I guess that. So that was, so that was uh, losing track of the days. Uh, that was... So Wednesday night, the Dodgers say we're willing to go three years. Um, yeah, whatever day it is, the other night, I, yeah, I, 
Yes. Um, so that must have been a good feeling. I mean, because not only Joe, not only because you you get the years, you get the money, whatever, but because of everything that you said, it's because of number one, it's close to where you live, but also because you. It sounds like going throughout the process that this was the place, other than maybe the Red Sox, that really maybe intrigued you the most. You know, money aside. Yeah, if there was another team involved, this was the closest to staying with the team that you know, I won the World Series with. Like, that was definitely the case. Uh, you know, not looking at money, not looking at deals, just the way I felt um, about winning, you know, and not showing up to the field, you know, moving around because you play 162 games, you have no chance to make playoffs. Like, that's one of the main reasons. But just the way when I was speaking with the organization that, you know, before anything was even any kind of money, like, I already felt comfortable, like, all right, that was, that was the, the team that, you know, most made sense to me. What was it like when? Like, what was it like when you know? I don't know Seth or Sam Levinson, whatever they they come back and say, "Hey, the Dodgers are are cool with this. Three years, uh, ready to go." And you make your you say, "Hey, let's go." I, do you talk to your wife? I, I'm having not never signed a three year, twenty five million dollar contract. Believe it or not. I don't know what that feels like. And I remember interviewing you when you made a million dollars in arbitration. I don't know what that feels like either. What did it feel like when, when you actually said, yes, okay, we'll take that? Um, yeah, obviously you have conversation with your family, your wife. Um, and A, you, mean you, guys, you both need to feel comfortable. Um, so it wasn't one, was one of those things that had a way of having on my mind. Um, you know, when... When the the when I already felt comfortable speaking to him before money was talked about, and then you know when they offer a third year, you know more than any other team, then that it wasn't something I'm like, all right, well I got to think about. It. it was like already made up my mind. Like I was already kind of wife. I know, like it's one of the things where I can make a decision in a, a millisecond. So it wasn't one of those things that was a hard process. Like ah, oh, you know I got to sleep on this or anything. It was you know. I already made the decision in my mind, you know, these are the two, these are the two teams that I want to play for. Right. And, you know, Dodgers, the historic, you know, great freaking franchise, always win, want to win. Uh, it's thing, this is scenarios that I ran through my mind and, and hypothetically with my, my wife. So, like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't a decision like, man, this would be tough for me, you know. I already ran through all the tough parts pre-gaming in my head what, what scenarios could come down. And so when that when that time is, comes to call a phone call, hey, this is what, you know, we have, um, it wasn't one of the things like, uh, you know, let me let me wait. You know, it's one of the things where I'm already comfortable. I feel like, I, like it was a very easy decision. So now, so now you, you get a chance to look back, you know, with the Red Sox, your tenure there. And 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 it, it, it was it, it was it, it was chock full of wei.com stories. That's what the Joe Kelly uh, tenure would be known as. It was you, you were uh, you were always good to talk to. Um, but as you know, when you first got there, so that well, that was only a half a year. So you, you know, you don't we don't really know what to make of you, right? You probably don't know what to make of Boston. Um, that was sort of weird. I think your coming out party was when you stumbled over to say you were going to win the Cy Young um, on our radio show. The, yeah, it was good for the brand. Great, great pub. No bad pub. Great for the brand. 
Yeah, great for the brand. Um, but that's when, okay, you know, honestly, up until then, Joe, like we, we, it, you had only been there half a year and you were just a guy in the trade and we've seen other guys and okay, you're going to be here for a while, but we didn't know. We didn't, you didn't know. So it was like, it was, do you feel like as you went along in Boston, you were able to, to show your personality a little bit? When did you feel, I guess, like when you were able to say, hey, I'm Joe Kelly everybody in New England, and I'm sort of an interesting guy. Um, when I'd you, probably say when, I don't have an exact date, but when I stopped taking things so, so serious, you know, when I first was in Boston, you know, I was like, oh, you know, gotta win. Hey, yeah, I do want to win, but like, it was almost like playing baseball, not fun and worried about, you know, all the other aspects of, of playing the game, you know, worried about media, worried about you know, management, worrying about uh, coaches, instead of, you know, going out and playing the game that I did, you know, when I was in St. Louis and having fun and just playing baseball, you know, I didn't come up with Boston. I wasn't in the mining system. I didn't play with these guys through high A, double A, triple A. Like, I was fortunate to be able to come up with, you know, five guys on that World Series team in St. Louis from the same exact draft, the 2009 draft. You were... 2009 draft was one-fifth of that 2013 Cardinals World Series. So when you're comfortable with a guy like that, it's like being in freaking, you know, travel ball again, being in Little League Baseball. Like, you get to have fun playing baseball, even though it is the big leagues, and you're comfortable personality-wise with everyone. And I think going through a trade and going to different cities that no one knows you, you know, it's kind of, you don't want to be, you know, show up one day and, and you know, it's kind of like, not hiding my personality, but I didn't know how it would be accepted, so I I didn't play the way I wanted to play, you know, was always worried about all the other outside factors rather than just playing with boots for lack. Well, you're, um, it, so basically, I think, you know, now we can talk about it, because certainly it's evolved, but I don't think that you felt like Boston was a good fit, not like in terms of the team, the the, the coaches, the, the general manager, the manager, whatever, but just, like you said, you're a Southern California guy who likes to have fun playing baseball, and Boston is an intense place, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it was, I mean, yeah, Boston at 10th place, you know, you want to win. Um, but you, but you, you came to, I think that you came to embrace that, right, a little bit? Yeah, I embraced it in the wrong way, I guess, you know. I fell into the mold of that, like, all right, everything's supposed to be serious, when that's not how I've been, you know, my whole life. Um, and so it was kind of hard to, like, show that without being ridiculed or, you know, all right, well, this guy's not serious about playing baseball. Like, um, And it's one of the things where I'm still fighting for a job there. You know what I mean? I'm still a starting pitcher or, you know, I don't know. Like, all right, we got to fight for a rotation spot. So it's one of the things where I'm focusing on, you know, earning my job. And then I focus on not showing my personality because of the, I guess, the outside factors of, you know, all right, got to be serious, you got to play baseball. So I fell in the trap of, of both of those, I guess. And then until I really let go of that, you know, I had more fun, A, playing, you know, we were winning, um, you know, so when we first started winning, you know, after coming in last, you know, just everything was able to go back to how, you know, I came up in as a big leaguer. Um, and I think that was a turning point. So when, when was that? All right, well, 
I mean, probably off season uh, after 16, maybe. Okay. You know, going into 17, I told myself, you know, I'm just going to go out and, you know, be myself and, you know, because I'm not having fun. Obviously, I wasn't having fun because the game last, but I wasn't having fun, you know, not being able to be who I, I am as a player. Um, and I don't want to regret that. So Yeah, and that's when, that's when you... This, this is me... This is me, you know, I don't care what, you know, people think. I, I mean, there's a lot of soft people out there. And it wasn't one of those things where I, I'm, I'm done caring about it. if you like their love. You know, it, I, I'm not going to worry about being, you know, we'll close to it for like, hey, you play in Boston, don't give too much answers to the media. Don't, you know what I mean? I'm worried about all that stuff. It sounds like it lines up with the moment that that happened was when you did the first Twin Peaks podcast. I'm, I'm guessing. Maybe you, maybe you showed my true colors. Well, we wanted. Well, we wanted to. Well, we wanted. Well, we wanted to do a pod. I was. I was like, you should do a podcast, and that was shut down. You. Sh- I mean, your own podcast. Yeah. That was. <laughs> that was. Yeah. That was yeah. too bad. So, um, yeah, that would been cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then, then you, you know, and you did a good job of it, man. Like you did, it's, it's, it was good. I mean, you should be able to in Boston. I think that's a good lesson for a lot of people. You probably seen guys come through Boston and thinking the same way that you did at the beginning of the of your tenure there, and and. And and then you say, hey, you know, you don't, you can be yourself a little bit, and that's one of the things I think with media that, you know, I don't think the media is so evil or so intense that they're going to hate it. Look at this year, I mean, you you had T-shirts yeah. made up about you, you 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 became a folk hero, so it, it was, and, and a lot of that, and a lot of that honestly was because, you know, yeah, the fight, okay, whatever, but still the personality said it said something, it did something, I think, and people around here appreciated yeah. it. Yeah, I, I think so. And like you said, like I think that people can learn going into a situation where you can't show your personality and not and not worry about you know the mantra of all right, hey, so serious. Like you know, baseball town, you got to be completely focused. I mean, yeah, we're all focused. You know, it's our job, but don't get too focused on like all right, well, you got to play by the book. And I was fortunate enough where I did it that way, but I still had enough time in my career where I could show my true personality. You know, sometimes it's too late for guys where they can't show the personality and then it takes away from their playing on the field and then by then it's too late where, you know, on to the next guy or, all right, now you're with a new organization and you never had a chance to redeem yourself um, and play the way that you know how to play baseball because you're worried about all the outside factors. So I think that if you can, you know, if other guys want to, can learn from it or, you know, if I went back and did it again, you know, I'd just say screw it and just be myself from the get-go um, and not worry about the other stuff. Uh, got to be so serious or don't upset the fans' feelings where, hey, this guy's joking around all the time and, you know, they lost today, you know, one game. And I think, like I said, that turning point where I just said, you know, screw it, um, Obviously, we started winning, and so you played better baseball. I feel like I played better baseball. Your year this year was—I mean, we talk about the ups and the downs of your your time in Boston. You, you, we're going to look back at this year. We can look back at it right now, and this was the craziest year for a player in terms of your Q rating. You know what a Q rating is, right? 
I don't know. Yeah, it was like rating. popular popularity rating, right? So, so you, gotcha. okay. so all right, okay. so you I'm go, so this, yeah, yeah, so this, so gotcha, you, gotcha. you start with another wildly successful Twin Peaks podcast. Q rating's really high after that. Uh, you have Jimmy Buchanan, that whole thing. You know, people like that. You know, so you know, again, showing your personality. You sort of have your role in the team. You know, I think that you like the the new regime. You like the core and everything. Things are still going along well. People like Joe Kelly. First game of the year. You don't have a good game. It, you know, it's like Joe Kelly blew that game. Your Q rating plummets. Oh my goodness! You know how it works around here. He stinks. He stinks. He stinks. What is he doing? So, right? Yeah. Am I wrong? Am I am I off base with anything no, so right. far? Okay. Okay. So then Cora, which I thought was great, you know, good move. He puts him right back out, and you, you I think you, you get a save, right? Uh, was it second or third yep. game? Okay. Yep, yep. First save. So puts it right back out. All right, but still, you know, if you ask if you ask the fans, you look at the depth chart of the bullpen, they're still lingering with that first game. Then you get going a little bit. Then people start recognizing, hey, he's pitching a little bit better. But then obviously you have the fight, right? And so it becomes a whole nother thing. And and you went from just in that moment, just in, in that time span that I'm talking about, you went from probably the lowest guy in the 25-man roster to not only the top uh, personality in the 25-man roster, but probably in the city of Boston in, in about a two-week span. I mean, and we are, we're not even through April yet. <laughs> You're still on point. You're still on target. Yeah, so it's nuts. So then you're pitching well, and then you start not pitching so well. You go through uh, June, July, August. Now you get into September, and people are even talking about, you know, we're trying to figure out because there's nothing else to do. They're trying to figure out playoff roster. You're getting the questions. Do you think you're going to be on the playoff roster? So forth and so on. But then, as you pointed out before, you know, about late September, you start identifying some things and fixing some things. But still, like, I can I can do the story on, in, in, and I actually believed you. I enjoy talking to you about you pitching in the, this is before the postseason, Pitching in the big moments about studying psychology in college, why you think you have a good handle of it. You know, no one believed it leading into the postseason, no. but of what, what not. no, but to me I'm not lying to people. <laughs> no no I know, but but still it's a results business, right? So people are saying, Well, okay. You know, that's fine. So you go into the postseason, and I still have it in the back of my mind because all people had to do was look at the Cleveland series a couple years before, last the year before, in big spots in the postseason you would pitch well. But still, people are, are going to turn to, oh, my goodness, you know, where are you going to pitch Joe Kelly in the postseason? But then you pitch well, and you pitch well, and you pitch well, and people all of a sudden look at it and say, hey, you know what? Maybe he was on to something. And then, you know, by the, by the time, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, before I get to the World Series, even by the time the World Series came around, now we're talking about two weeks. So we had the two weeks in April, we have the two weeks in October, where you went from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high. Oh, my God, like, it, this is, what a great lesson this is to, like, how fickle baseball is. It's, it, it, it is a great lesson, you know, and... And baseball is a weird sport that way. You know, it's not like 
when you when you get a like mechanic mixed with you know talent and 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 focus of you know narrowing down like you said changing some stuff, you know you're gonna have success. You know, fill up the zone with strike. You know, when you're off, you're gonna throw balls mechanically, or you're gonna use pitches wrong. Uh, it's not like other sports where you know, all right, well I'm playing basketball and you know I can't hit a three right now. You know, my, my timing and my jump shot's a little off. Well, guess what? You can resort to still being a great player. All right. Well, you can drive. You get assist. You can drive. You go. You go the. You know the foul line. That can help get your rhythm and back with the run. You can go and you can make a layup. You know, there's in baseball you can't do that. It's just pitching. You know, if you're a little off, the results are. There's only one way to change them. Is hey, you pitch good, you pitch bad. There's no way like as a pitcher you can't go out and make a diving play in the outfield and be like, well, it's still good at defense. There's no other aspect of being able to redeem yourself in any other way. Um, so that's the funny part about baseball, why, you know, success and not success. And like I said, in those two weeks, you know, when you start seeing yourself and figuring some stuff out, mechanically you're figuring stuff out, you know, pitch-wise, you know, a little bit deeper, you know, that's when you can have success. And then, then it's just, you know, repeating the same formula until that doesn't work and then you got to make adjustments based on all the adjustments you know you can't be a running back you can't be Saquon Barkley and just jump out the roof have thighs run fast cut you know because you don't lose that that doesn't slump that doesn't mechanically there's no such thing when you get the football either A you can cut you can run fast you're strong you could manhandle someone and there's no there's no mechanics yeah there might be a little bit of mechanics they might cut their little off but that's it football you could get away with being sloppy mechanically and just out-athlete somebody. And if you don't do that in the baseball, the results are A, really, really bad, or when you're right, it's really, really good. And then if you're doing it half the time, you're in the middle somewhere. But it, like I said, I was really, really off or I was really, really on. And the middle part was me searching for the really, really on of a bunch of different factors. Um, and, you know, that leads to the dominating success or, you know, the not. That, that was, I mean, there's been other guys, so when you're doing well and then you're being booed, whatever, and people are saying you shouldn't make the playoff roster or whatever, um, you know, there's guys who shut it down. Like, there are guys who like saying, screw everybody when you start going well a little bit. Say, screw everybody, you know, hey, you know, you you were against me for, for those months, whatever. It's... It, Everyone's riding the roller coaster. You know, when you're walking the streets of Boston and people have the Joe Kelly Fight Club T-shirts, you know, everything's great, high-fiving you and everything else. But when you get to September and people are saying, you know, you suck or whatever, it's like, hey, where were you? You know, is this the same guy that was high-fiving me in April? But you didn't seem to yeah. care, I guess. That That is, I mean, I haven't... Said that, but that is, I mean, you, you nailed it. There, it takes a different person, and I think I'm a great, I think I'm, I'll just say good. I think I'm a good self evaluator. Yeah, I know when I suck, I know when I'm good. You know, some people take it super personal where it's like, okay, well, you hate me when I suck, and when I do good, you know, you like me, well, I'm just gonna say, screw you no matter what. Do good, do bad, it's always gonna be the same. You know, and I, I felt like I never really see it that way, I guess. Um, just because, you know, I don't know, maybe it's how, a, you know, how I'm made, I guess, but 
you know, I'm a fan of other sports. And, you know, you're going to do bad. I'm not going to, like, be like, oh, this guy sucks. And then when he's doing good, this guy's good. You know, I, I know how hard it is. But as a fan, you know, I can see, you know, that's just being a fan. Like, when players aren't doing good, you're not happy. When a player's doing good, you're happy. But the player on the other side will be like, well, no, you weren't with me when I was here doing bad, and now you want to be jumping on the bandwagon, and then the player will be like, well, just screw you in general. And I feel like that's not, you know, that never crossed my mind. I was like, all right, well, you're blowing me off the, off the field, you know, two weeks prior, and then now I'm on the playoff roster, and I'm pitching good, and I'm not even talking about World Series either. And now you, you know, you're all on my side, and, you know, it's all lovey-dovey, good relationship. Um, but that's not going, that's never gone through my head of thinking about that. Like, well, F you, you know, I'm going to flip somebody off or I'm going to, you know, pretend to, you know, snark out the crowd, you know, to walk out the mound, like, you know, F you guys. And then when I do good and you give me a standing O, I'm not going to walk out the mound and be like, nah, you guys don't deserve it. Like, I'm, I'm pretty good, you're not on my side. I never really thought, that never crossed my mind, I guess. Did you watch, uh, have you, have you watched the World Series? I haven't watched the games, but, you know, the stuff I'm working on mechanically, I go back on my phone to watch, you know, all my World Series appearances because I felt like, you know, I was nailing it. Um, well, I, so I get to watch, you know, yeah. strikeouts and, you know, all my success. So, yeah, I watched that part of it so because I, I, that's what I'm trying to, to, to beat off of, of, of mechanically. I would be anxious to when you look at, when you walk off the mound in that last game, mechanically, uh, how the, the cuss words coming out of your mouth, if, if that was executed um, on point or not. I, you know, because this, listen, the, that is, it's one thing to show emotion or whatever, but it's that sort of moment is, it would seem to be sort of, I, this is going to seem like sappy, but almost like an out-of-body experience, like when you, when you have that moment, right? And, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy moment because going in the situation warm up the mountain, you know what that's like. You know, we win, we win the World Series. And coming into a game like that and then being able to do what I did, like, I just wanted to make no one score and get out of, and get out of the game with us winning the World Series. You know, hey, Grumble, don't play, hey, follow, whatever. But to be able to actually dominate, like, and be able to win the game, like, that's where the emotion comes from. Like, there's no, you know, pre-planning. It's like, holy shit. Like, I just completely mowed through, you know, these hitters in the World Series for a game-pushing game. You know, now we have a chance to win, you know, saving DP's guy at first, you know, being able to just beat off of him. You know, I love that guy to death. You know, him pitching so good. I want to come in, repeat the same thing. And then, you know, I'd have been happy with, you know, four pitches of positive play. You know, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have that same emotion, obviously, because, you know, it wasn't as dominating. I knew I got the job done. But to be able to, like, in the biggest spot, in the biggest moment, in the biggest time, in the last, literally the last game, my last appearance, to go out like that, you know, that's where all that, like, it's just gratifying. That's just like almost like a, a weight off the shoulder and then, to do it like that fashion is like holy crap like that's where the emotion comes from and like you said like it was like man I just I, I punched out the last guy and that's just firing out but I was like oh crap I punched out the first two guys before that <laughs> you know and that was cool like nobody put it in play in the big spot in the last game of the last appearance um, and like I feel like that's where the excitement that's where the emotion that's where the talent 
and that's where the cuss words came from. I mean, that was, it's just, I couldn't control it. You know, knowing that I pitched in every game of World Series, knowing that I pitched good in every game of World Series, I mean, I wasn't fatigued, I wasn't tired, you know, Glossy's there, stuff's there, command's there, and like, not very many players have pitched in every single game of World Series. And to cap it off by like, letting nobody put the ball in play, I mean, that was just, you know, the cherry on top. That's where it's like, all right, this ticking time bomb just went off. And that was like, man, I just dunked on you, you know, a seven-footer, and I'm, you know, Eric Bledsoe coming down the, as a point guard, athletic point guard, and just dunking on you and getting the hand one, making, making a freaking free throw, winning the, you know, winning the NBA championship. Like, it was just command. Like, I was in, in control of that whole situation, and I, like I said, it, not to chew my own horn, but it was just after all I've been through, the ups and downs, like you said, you know, ups and downs of, you know, just my career in Boston, ups and downs with fans, ups and downs with, you know, throughout the year where I lost my job, you know, didn't get big outs for a couple months, you know, and then being the guy to turn to at that spot with not having any remorse towards management. Oh, you didn't pitch me in big outs and now you want me to come in for the fifth time in a row and I'm not the free agent. Like, I got to worry about my career. You know, not worth, none of that came through, came in my head. There was no bitter moment, no bitter moment to the fans, no bitter moment to pitching coach for, you know, I'm not pitching in big spots. Like, all that was, you know, it was bigger than me at that time. And it was one of those things where I love all my brothers on the team and we're grinding, we're in the trenches and being able to, like I said, go one, two, three, punch outside. Like, all that emotion, I finally realized walking on the baseball field, like, that all came out. Because, like I said, when I was warming up, I knew I was pitching in the game, a dumb man in the game. I, I, I finally, when I was running out there, I usually looked down. I ran with my head up, looked at the fans. I was like, man, this is cool. This is World Series. We're a chance to win the game. You know, I'm hanging. My body hurts. My arm's sore. You know, but I got a different kind of boost just knowing that, you know, this could be the, the gratifying goal that I've always wanted as a little kid. I enjoyed it. I watched the crowd's faces, you know. Strike out one batter, I noticed that the crowd like got upset. Strike out another batter, I could see the intensity. They all sit down. You know, when I came in, everyone was on their feet. I go back and look, and I noticed in the game, every punch out, first strike out, all right, half fans out. Second strike out, everybody's sitting down, only Red Sox fans sit up. Third strike out, like I just said, what I just said, all those feelings came out, you know, pitching five games in a row. Like, all that excitement came out, and it was just, like I said, a ticking time bomb of just love and passion and, you know, knowing we were inches close to winning the World Series. It was, all came out at that last strikeout. And I don't, I, I wouldn't say it's overboard because I felt like the timing of it was right. You know, if I'm doing that, you know, in April against, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays for a save, it's like, all right, what the hell is this guy doing? But, you know, I just felt like I, I deserved it. I pitched in five straight games and went out there and, and dominated and now we're World Series champs. The only thing, the only thing, there was two problems. Number one, you, it, it was a perfectly articulated and explained um, scenario, except that you use Eric Bledsoe as the guy you're dunking, pretending to be be the dunker. Um, That's the only reason. I mean, no other playing guards in the league could do it besides Russell Westbrook, maybe, but Eric Bledsoe is a freak athlete, and, you know, he out-rebounds seven players. That's point right. guard, undersized point guard. All right, and the only other thing was that was wrong with the moment is that instead of yelling, um, fuck yeah, which is, I think, am I, is, was that correct? Uh, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, okay, all right. Language gets us in the podcast. Oh, well, I, no, that was me. Um, 
you could have yelled you, you could have you could have yelled boom sauce which would have been good for the brand <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, you've, you've, you've given it a lot of time. I appreciate it, but you got to give me your favorite Bradfoe show moments before you go to, uh, It was probably, probably it was, you know, it's not it's my favorite only for one reason. It's my favorite because I didn't think you had it in you to have, you know to avoid temptation and to have self discipline when we made a friendly wager on you losing all that weight. And I know it's hard as a media member, you guys are traveling like us, you know, you're eating bad food, you're going places, not getting sleep, not hydrated, you know, and for me, probably for a moment, was other than me saying I was going to die young and people, a lot of sensitive cupcakes out there, getting <laughs> like, oh, this guy's not doing it. My favorite moment was me betting you money that you, know, you were losing the weight and you did it. So I think that was pretty cool. Yeah, in case people, on the, at the winter weekend, at the end of J- January, you did a podcast at winter weekend, and I said I was going to lose 50 pounds, and we made the friendly wager where the, uh, the proceeds go into charity. Um, and uh, and I had to do it uh, by May or the end of April, and it did it. And you basically you walked by me when you paid up for again for charity. Um, you walk you walked by me and you gave me what looked like. And it says again, I don't know why I have this analogy with it, but it's basically if if you're if you're if you're if you're let's just say if you're trying to smuggle opium through Thailand, the Thailand airport, you you crumple up you crumple up something so tight. That 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 was the money that you gave me to pay off on your bet for yeah. charity. Yes, I, I I rolled it in the smallest crumpled up ball I could do. Like you're sneaking in, like you said, sneaking in some little heroin, and you're putting in this little spot where we don't have to talk about. That's how I gave. That's how I paid my my dues. Yes. Well, uh, the, I hope that you didn't cringe every time uh, we, we walked over to uh, ask you, because I honestly mean it. It's like it was, it was, uh, it was the good thing about you, Joe, and I can say that because I'll never cover you again unless you know I move to Los Angeles. I don't know that. Yeah, who, who knows? But it was. Who's gonna play you in the movie? Well, that's, that's, who would play? Let me ask you that. Who would play me in the movie? Who would play you in the movie? Uh, Seth Rogen. Okay, uh, fair enough. I'll take it. Who would play? Who would play you in the movie? Uh, 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 well, let's go with uh, my buddy I grew up with, um, who is an actor, Tyler Hecklin. Who? Tyler Hecklin. I don't know who that is. He's been in Road to Perdition. He was Superman and Supergirl. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Uh, you, you grew up with him? Yeah, yeah. We were good family friends. Like, I, I've known him since I was 10. Okay. But he played college baseball, so he would actually look good in the movie playing baseball still. So. There you go. It's, it's, it's on its way. Yeah, but, but honestly, it's, it's because... 
You, it, I think that, you know, I was talking to Pedroia about this the other day, about sort of the difference between this team and the 2013 team. The people forget the 2013 team was like a bunch of 30-year-olds. The, the, this, team was, this team was a lot younger. And, you know, there's good and bad in that, but I think that you can probably agree with this now that you're 30, is that when you're in, going through your 20s, you're not so secure in, in, in being yourself with the media, Correct. No, not at all. I mean, no one is unless, you know, you're Mike Tyson at 20 years old, world heavyweight champ, you know, knocking out 30-year-olds. I mean, that's when you that's when you know you're bad. Like, you could say whatever you want. Right. But no, as a baseball player, rookie, no chance. Right, so... So the point the point that I'm making is that in that clubhouse, there's not a lot of people that you could go up to and have a genuine sort of you know like hey you know uh, this you know the the your, your draft story you were talking about you're turning 21 and getting drafted that day that story um, what you know the, the psychology major stuff that that it's interesting that it's interesting and and so the yeah, qu- go ahead go ahead no I'm done. I'm not saying that there's not, I mean, yeah, there's a basic answer to any kind of sport question. That you just keep it playing vanilla. You know, that's what you want to be taught. Don't be in the media for anything stupid, don't we? And, you know, that takes away from a lot of, you know, if I ever teach, those, like, you know, media training at, you know, rookie development, I'm going to say screw all that. You know, it's, it's one of those things where as a young player, you're not lying to the media. But you're just not being transparent. You're not. You're not going. You're not going on any kind of level where, you know, you're having a good conversation or a good feel and being able to speak how you're speaking with, you know, not your best friend, but with, you know, someone at a dinner party. Like you're another, not even scratching another that. another human being. <laughs> another an, Joe, Joe. Another exactly. human being. And that's that's exactly. where that's where you're given an answer. Hold on. That's one of the things we're giving an answer going. All right, this is my answer, and I would correlate it to you know you're at a big party or a big event, and you go and take so many hands, and you're like, well, I don't even know what this guy's name was. That's kind of the feeling you're giving with the media. Well, like I'm gonna give the answer, like I don't even know what the hell I said, but it wasn't bad. That's the kind of transparency I'm kind of talking about. Mm-hmm. In personal level, where you shake someone's hand and you can care less what their name was, and you just get move on to the next person. Like that's how probably as a young guy you answer media questions. Um, that's the best way I feel like I put it. Yeah, and, and I, said, I said this, it goes both ways. When reporters talk about uh, athletes, said, you know, hey, you know, you treat them like human beings. You know, the and, and honestly, there's been athletes who, there's that feeling that they're not treating the reporter to being, asking the question like human beings. And, and I think that that's, that's what both sides have to understand. So I, and so I understood, yeah. yeah, I understood you were a human being. I, it does. Yeah. Congratulations! You're a human being, and you're a very rich human being. <laughs> rich human being. Thank you, Brad. There, there, there you go. You're, uh, you're you're a good human being, and you're a rich, successful WEI human being. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, okay, thanks. We'll do it again. I promise. Hey, I'm only at 19. I gotta get to at least you know 30. By the time I'm done playing baseball, you know, you're 11 more somewhere. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 
303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Are you tired of being tracked online? There's a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more, all for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. We all remember that one professor, the one everyone on campus had to take no matter what subject they taught because how much fun their class was. What if we told you there was a streaming service that had all those professors? One Day University has every must-have professor from the best colleges all across the country. One Day University, the most fun talks from the most fun professors. Available live and on demand. No homework, just the most fun you'll have while learning. Get a special offer at onedayu.com slash odyssey.